Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Um, incredible responsibility and privilege to be a dad, isn't it? But wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, also, a special day um, for myself and for Heather and I. Happy anniversary, dear. Um, 12 years. Yeah. Yep. Clap for her for putting up with me for 12 years. But, uh, yep. Uh, no, it's, we've truly been a team for Jesus, which is, which is what we <laughs> said at our wedding and our vows. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a blast. Hope to have many, many more. So, um, All right, we're going to turn our attention to Romans, and we're getting towards the end. We're in Romans 15, the, the, the end, starting in verse 14. But I want you to think about this question. Who has helped you follow Jesus? Who in your life has helped you follow Jesus? I have a picture of someone who helped me, particularly in high school. You could throw that up there. Got a picture there? There we go. Thank you. So, got a text recently. Um, the guy in the middle, Scott, that's me on the right with all the obnoxious stuff on me at my graduation ceremony. Um, it was to prove a point in my message. But anyway, um, uh, there's Scott, and it was funny because he sent this sexual purity pledge thing that I signed in 03 or something, um, and, and that's all cool, but um, Scott was used mightily in my life, um, but what's interesting is it wasn't just Scott. There's several people through the years um, that God has placed in my life that's helped me follow Jesus, but they all had this in common. It was relational. So it was serious. We did things like sign purity pledges and have Bible studies and those types of things, but yet, fun. Scott and I had some good times shooting hoops at the park and watching Monday Night Football together. It wasn't just very serious stuff. It was, it was fun stuff as well. It was relational. And as I think about Jesus' mission for believers... In Matthew 28, right before Jesus goes up into heaven, he says, hey, make disciples. So our main job as believers is to build Christ-centered relationships. That's, that's essentially what it means to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus, or, or to put it another way, to help people follow Jesus. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're wondering what your purpose in life is. You're wondering what God's will for your life is. You're wondering what you're supposed to give your life to. It's this. It's to make disciples. It's to help people follow Jesus. And you might go, great, but how? How do I do that? Many of us know the mission. Many of us know that's what we're supposed to be giving our lives to. But how do we fulfill the mission? Well, Paul gives us a clear picture in Romans 15, 14 to 33. And, and he does it with his relationship with this church, with these, these people in the Roman church. And Paul gives us keys, keys to making disciples. Um, but you're going to hear these things. You're going to see these things in the text. And you're going to hear these points and you're going to go, yeah, that's probably not groundbreaking. None of this you're going to go, wow, I've never thought of that before. But I don't want you to think of it as, as what I'm, what's something new I'm going to learn today about how I can make disciples and follow Jesus. Rather, I want you to think of it through this lens. Am I actually doing these things? Am I actually 
doing this and this and this to help people follow Jesus. With, whether it's with your kids or your spouse or your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, whoever God has placed in your life. Not do I know I should do that, but am I, am I doing that with people? So have that lens as we look at these keys to making disciples. Let's start with verse 14, Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. First key here is encouragement. Paul encourages them. Now notice Paul isn't saying, hey, you're doing a good job. No, he doesn't start with generic encouragement. Good job is lazy encouragement, by the way. Anybody can do that. No, he's specific. And the more specific you get with encouragement, the better. And he gets specific, but he starts general. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. He's saying, overall, the people in the Roman church have my approval. I'm satisfied with them. And Paul doesn't just give that to anyone. If you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, he he doesn't say that about them. He's not satisfied with, with that church. But he is about this one. So he encourages them with it. And then he he goes more specific. He encourages their character. He says they're full of goodness. That means they're they're warm, they're welcoming, they're God-fearing, God-honoring, people-loving people. It's it's type of people, the type of people where you go, man, those are great people. Just really look up to them. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, you, you guys are full of goodness. And then he encourages their intellect says they're filled with all knowledge. He's saying you, you understand, you get it, you know Jesus. You understand him, you, you know him, and you know what it means to follow him. And this is actually the basis of what makes them full of goodness. What makes them great, upstanding people is that they understand Jesus and what it means to follow him. And then he, he encourages their disciple making. He says they're able to instruct one another. He's saying you make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You're, you're reproducible. And this is a huge compliment. And it's a telltale sign of maturity, really, of anyone in any role, is that they're reproducible. Are they training others who are training others who are training others? So this is a high form of encouragement and a compliment to them. But notice before Paul does anything else in this passage, he encourages first. He does it because it's that essential. Encouragement must be led with in order to make true disciples of Jesus. I think of uh, a guy in my life uh, when I was interning in college at a church called Constance Free Church in Andover, Minnesota. And his name uh, was Sean McDowell. Now, he's not actually the famous Sean McDowell, son of Josh McDowell, I wish. Not the same guy. Um, Same name though, but he was the associate pastor and he was kind of a couple rungs uh, on the ladder ahead of me there. But weekly, he sent emails to volunteers, to myself and to others to thank us and encourage us for serving. He, he, He always put wind in my sails whenever he saw me, found ways to not just say, hey, you're doing great, but specifically encourage me. And then I'll never forget the time he came up to me. He, he, he happened to be there um, when I was teaching for youth group, and he comes up to me and he goes, Matt, you know, you present hard biblical truth in a really understandable way to these students. 
And that compliment, that, in, that encouragement has actually shaped the, the trajectory of my life. It's what I've given my life to to help people understand biblical truth in an understandable way. Paul encourages first, and it goes a long ways with people. We need, we need to throw away in our heads these, these typical thoughts sometimes we have about encouragement. We need to throw away the thought of, oh, they'll just get a big head. Really? I don't know if it's possible to be too encouraging. I mean, it's never happened to me where I went, man, I wish that person would just stop encouraging me. They're way too encouraging. They just need to tone it down a little bit. I feel way too encouraged. I don't know about you. It's never happened to me. They'll get a big head. I think that's just an excuse for us not to be encouraging. We need to throw away thoughts like, oh, they already know that. They already know they're doing fantastic. How do you know that they know that they're doing a great job? You can't assume that. We need to throw away thoughts like, oh, I'm, not, I'm just not a very encouraging person. Well, if you have the love and encouragement of Christ in you, you have all the ability in the world. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Encouragement is a discipline. It's an intentional act, way more than it is a, 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 a like innate thing within you. See, Jesus came and loved us and encouraged us to the point of death on a cross. And then he continues to do that through the Holy Spirit. So we have all the ability in the world to encourage other people. So that's the first key to making disciples, to helping people follow Jesus, is be encouraging. Next, we need to warn. Verse 15 and 16. He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I, I also have to warn you. I'm, I'm going to lead with encouragement, but I have to warn you of some hard, bold things sometimes because that's my calling. He's saying, essentially, God has called me not just to make you happy, but to help make you holy. It says here in the text, to make you sanctified. Sanctified just means you're helping them be more like Jesus. He's saying, I, I'm going to have to remind you and warn you of some things sometimes and it's actually me loving you well. I mean, think about it like this. How much do you have to hate me to not tell me that I'm about to get run over by a semi? Right? You warn me. Hey, wait, stop. Now, here's the thing about this. Here's, here's the thing about warning. No one likes having someone point out that their fly's down. Right? They, no one likes that. But, but, that's what friends do. Friends don't let friends walk around with their barn door open, right? We don't, we don't let our friends walk around and, and look silly. We point it out. We warn them. We remind them. We help them out. And they might feel a little embarrassed, but it's, way, it's worth the, the, the opposite, you know, them bearing the consequences of really being humiliated. So we too need to warn people as we help them follow Jesus by reminding them of God's good ways. We need to warn them of the dangers of not being honest with God and not being honest with other believers. 
We need to warn them of the dangers of not giving ourselves fully to Christian community. We need to warn them of the dangers of not letting anything or anyone else take the place of God in their hearts and in their lives. And the list goes on and on and on, but we must warn them. We must remind them. And we must do it in a way that communicates clearly that we're doing it for their good. Some of us, I suspect, the challenge isn't warning people. Maybe for some of us, we're like, I, I got that down. I know I'm called to that. I can do that all right. It's, it's the being warned. This is more my struggle. Often too defensive and, and miss opportunities to grow because I don't want to hear it. But Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If a friend is warning you about something and they're doing it for your good, they're actually being a faithful friend, even though it hurts in the moment. I remember one time when I was a counselor out at Hidden Acres, um, we were having late night prayer meetings with, with other counselors. And that was great. That was, that was fantastic. We're praying, right? How could we be going wrong? Well, here's the problem. After a few days of that, we were exhausted and not good counselors during the day because we were just so beat. We weren't there for, this, for, the, for the kids out at camp. And I remember a camp speaker came up to me and goes, man, you, you, don't, you don't look too good. What's going on? And I told him what's going on. And, and he's like, well, let me tell you something. And it turns out what he told me is actually written in several books, but I thought it was original to him. He said, you got to figure out what's, what's good, better, and best. What's the best thing? You know, it's good to be praying, but if, if it's costing you a ton of sleep over and over, the best thing, what you're called to this week, is to invest in these campers. And if you, if you can't do that well because of the prayer, prayer is good, but it's not the best thing here. So he was warning me in love about the best thing, and that was to get a little more sleep. Yes, keep praying, but maybe not as late into the night. The question we must answer honestly when other people are warning us, when other brothers and sisters in Christ are warning us, is this question, am I Jesus? And if the answer is no, which it always will be, because you're not and I am not, then we have to realize there's, there's always room to grow. There's always room to change. And we need warning from time to time. To deny the loving warning from brothers and sisters in our lives is saying, that we're perfect and we're Jesus and we don't need the grace of the Savior. But to embrace loving warning from brothers and sisters in Christ is actually admitting that we still need the rescue and grace of Jesus, which is where we're actually all at all the time. Let's help people follow Jesus by graciously warning others and then humbly receiving warning from others. Number three, key to making disciples, give credit to God. Give credit to God, verse 17 to 19. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Making disciples has never been about you. It's never been about me. It's always been about God. 
Now, if you look at verse 17, it seems strange. It almost looks like he's boasting. But look at the bookends of verse 17. It says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. It's bookended on both sides. He's saying, in Christ Jesus, Jesus is the one strengthening me and empowering me. And I'm proud of that work, not because it's for me, but because it's for God. So don't miss those bookends. Otherwise, you miss what he's saying. He's saying, I'm proud of what Jesus did through me for God. And that's a, that's a great way to put that. We should be excited about the things that God is doing in and through us for his glory. But God gets the credit. And then look at verse 18. He's saying, it was the, it, Jesus accomplished this through me. And then verse 19, same thing, same theme. It was the Holy Spirit's power that did these things. He's saying, how, how else could I have spread the gospel to the Gentiles throughout the whole known world? If you, if you look at this, if you look at a map, um, Jerusalem is here. Illyricum is up over here near Italy. Okay, Jerusalem's where modern-day Israel, where Jerusalem is right now. But up near Italy, Illyricum, it's a region up, up here. That was basically the whole known world at the time. And he's saying, hey, by God's grace, by the Spirit's power, I was able to do that. He's the one who strengthened me. He's the one who empowered me. As we make disciples, it's important that we have the approach of, of that song we sing sometimes that's called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. Yet not I, but it was Christ in me. Never attempting to steal the credit for what only God could do. Yes, our effort is being used, but God makes it happen, and it's for his glory. Number four, stay focused on your specific mission. Verse 20 and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's specific mission is to share the gospel with Gentiles or, or non-Jews who have never heard it before. Our specific mission, your specific mission, at the very least, is to share the gospel with those in your sphere of influence. The people that God has placed in your life. You have a, you have a specific mission. Who do you spend time with the most? Your mission is to share Christ with them. But it's also something more specific that God has wired you for. See, Paul's Paul's specific mission was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles who have never heard it. That's really specific. That doesn't mean that's your specific mission just because that was Paul's. You're not the same as Paul. You're unique. You have a unique personality with unique giftings and abilities and wirings. You have a specific mission within this big mission of making disciples. So for me... What God has affirmed and shown me over and over again is that, that my specific mission is to teach people God's word and to disciple or help people follow Jesus, um, specifically men. So to teach God's word and to disciple men. Now that doesn't mean I don't do other things than that in my life to help people follow Jesus. It's just those are the things I'm really going to be focused on. So even if... Uh, 
I find myself in 20 years, not here at Stonebridge Church or as a pastor. You know what I'm going to try to do? Even if I'm working down the street as a mechanic, which will never happen. But if I happen to be doing something else professionally, I'm still going to find opportunities to teach people God's word and disciple men. Because that's my specific mission in life. Maybe for you, you're great at asking questions and, and listening well to people. Maybe for you, you God wants you to use your, your ability in art or in music or in something else to point others to Jesus. Maybe you're great at giving gifts to people or, or giving money to support other people, and he wants to use that. Maybe it's being the hands and feet of Jesus through physical service of others. Maybe it's being a prayer warrior with and for other people. The possibilities are endless here. I think of a gal um, in Marshall, Minnesota, where, where we used to live when I was the youth pastor. And just clarification, um, Heather earlier was referring to when uh, I used to be a youth pastor, not when she used to be married to Josh. So just wanted to, just wanted to clarify that, that whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, back to the story. There was this gal in Marshall, Minnesota, who, who really loved on and supported um, women ministry leaders. And what's crazy is that she went to another church, but yet to this day, she loves on and supports my wife, Heather. She went to another church in the same town, but yet she, she had this specific mission that I am going to love on and show support to women who are in the midst of ministry. God has a specific mission to help, other, to help for you to help other people follow Jesus. Find that and stay focused on that, just like Paul did. Here's a key to finding that. How do you enjoy helping others follow Jesus? I think you have to enjoy it. How do you enjoy helping others follow Jesus? Find that and do that and keep doing that. Number five, key to helping make disciples. Enjoy time together. Verse 22 to 24. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped by my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Enjoyed your company. Paul understood the importance of enjoying time together, of laughter, of fun, of food, of everyday life spent together. I, I've always said this, and I stand by it, that a great recipe for helping people follow Jesus is food plus fun plus talking about Jesus. Add a little food, add a little fun, and it's going to be a beautiful recipe. So when I get beat by Kevin Lambert in beanbags at a church potluck, or when I have you over to my house and our, our kids are chucking food across the table from one another, or when someone brings sardines for a snack to connection group, I don't know who would do that. <laughs> when we do these, these sorts of things, it actually makes the times when, when we spend together in the word and in prayer and getting real with one another even more meaningful because now it's not just a group I'm going to. It's not just a project. It's not, it's not just a duty. No, it's more like a family. 
If, if you're telling people about Jesus or, or helping them grow in their walk with Jesus and it, you're starting to feel like that relationship is kind of stuck or overly serious or tense, enjoy some time together. Have some fun together. You know, the, I think there's some truth to this statement. It's, it's pretty true that a family that prays together stays together. I would just say a, a family that prays and plays together will actually enjoy staying together. Enjoy time together. Number six, live generously. Verses 25 to 29 here. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they had also to have service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Live generously. Paul's setting an example here to the Romans of generosity. We learn in the book of 1 Corinthians that the the believers in Jerusalem were not well off. They were poor. So he takes an offering from the Corinthians and and the people in Achaia and Macedonia, it says. He takes an offering to help them out. And he's saying, hey, Jews, Gentiles alike, everyone who's following Jesus, your brothers and sisters now. So you need to support each other spiritually, but also financially and physically. Paul's setting an example for Gentiles and Jewish believers in Rome. And there was high tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, it seems, in Rome at the time, even within the church. And he's saying, hey, you need to be generous with one another regardless of your heritage. And so as we help other people follow Jesus, we too are called to be generous with one another. See, it's all, it's all God's money. It's all God's stuff to begin with. So to be generous with it is just to, to treat it like what it is. It's God's. People you're helping follow Jesus at times will need help, and they'll need help financially. Sometimes money isn't even the best way to help people. Sometimes they just need help managing their money. We need to generously help each other Because as Jesus said, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. If we truly love this other person, we should be eager to help them financially if we can. Now, I I know personal finances aren't supposed to be talked about with each other. That's taboo. But I want you to think for a second, where did that come from? That didn't come from God. That didn't come from the Bible. That came from the world. See, how am I supposed to know that you need help financially if you never talk about it? How are you supposed to help me if I'm struggling financially and I never talk about it? Often our ego and our pride get in the way of asking for much needed help. Give people a chance to be generous. Share your needs. I personally would love to help you if I'm able to with finances or managing finances. Let's be generous. Let's allow others to be generous by being open and honest about where we're at. 
live generously. Number seven, pray with and for each other. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Notice Paul just doesn't say, hey, can you pray for me quick? See you later. Hashtag pray for me. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He goes, strive together in your prayers. Pray passionately with each other for me. I desperately need your prayer right now. He's convinced that prayer changes things and makes a difference. And he's like, I need you to pray for me. He's open. He's honest about his fears even in here. He's like, I'm going home. He's from, he's from Jerusalem. He's from this area. And he's, I'm going home. And these people back at home, I used to go out and kill Christians with them. Then I turned my back on them. And now I'm a Christian. And I'm a leader in Christianity. And I'm scared that they're going to turn and do the same to me. I'm scared for my life. He desperately needed prayer and he knew his need for prayer and he wasn't ashamed to ask for prayer. We need to follow Paul's example. We need to pray for people. We need to pray with people. But we also need to be candidly asking for prayer for ourselves. See, we're all in process, which means we all desperately need prayer every day. One of the easiest ways, I think, to help people follow Jesus is through prayer. Just simply asking, hey, how can I pray for you when you see a brother or sister in Christ at the pool? Saying, hey, can you be praying for me with this or that when you see a brother or sister out at Walmart? Now, a pro tip for this, because I've had a lot of experience asking people this or, or asking for prayer, Usually the question, how can I pray for you, isn't that great of a question. Do you know why? Because guess what people say? I'm good. I always calmly respond, but in my head, I always go, no, you're not. <laughs> because I'm not. We're in a messed up world. And we have, we, we have brokenness, sinfulness within us. We, we need prayer today. So... Try asking in a different way. Say, hey, what are you worried about right now? What are you frustrated with in life right now? And then go, hey, I'll, I'll be praying for you about that. Something like that. I'm sure you can come up with even better questions than that, but be creative. People often don't know how to respond to, how can I pray for you? So get creative with it and then pray for each other. All right, last one, number eight. Enjoy time together. Verse 32, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Refreshed in your company. In case we missed it, just being in their company was refreshing to Paul. So I know, we already had this point, but he's emphasizing it for a reason. We need to spend time chilling together. You know, that, that guy I showed you on the screen, Scott, in high school, I learned way more about following Jesus sitting around his dinner table than I did from him teaching me at youth group or him leading a Bible study with me. Why? Because following Jesus is way more caught than it is taught. We're relational creatures. Spend time together. Enjoy time together. 
Now, I want to end by sharing kind of a, a master key, a skeleton key, if you will, for making disciples. And it's weaved throughout this passage. And that's mutual community. The key is that it goes both ways. I want to show you this in this text. Verse 14, it says, he's, Paul, think about this. Paul it wrote most in the New Testament, and he's telling this church, I need your help. I want to be refreshed by you. It goes both ways. I'm not just, it's not just this top down, I'm teaching you. No, we're going to teach each other and we're going to build each other up. It's going to go both ways. Verse 14, able to instruct one another. Verse 24, to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul's saying he needs help. Verse 24, enjoyed your company for a while. It's mutual. Verse 30, strive together with me in your prayers. Verse 32, be refreshed in your company. And he said a chapter before in 14.24, he said specifically, let us pursue mutual upbuilding. Pursue it. This was a mindset shift for me about eight years ago. And the shift is this. Everyone that I help follow Jesus also helps me follow Jesus. Whether they're five years old or 50 years old. Let me show you a chart to, to help you understand. Most of us, I think, have a, a, a view of discipleship like this. I am going to make disciples. I'm going to help them and them and them and them and them follow Jesus. But it's actually meant to be more like this. Go to the next one. Mutual community. So here I am. I'm, I'm helping them and they're helping me and I'm helping them. and They're helping those people and they're helping each other and back and forth and all around. And that's how it should go. Mutual community. Everyone I help follow Jesus also helps me follow Jesus. Even little kids, even brand new believers, often their enthusiasm and excitement for follow Jesus, following Jesus and their passion helps reignite a passion within me. How incredible that as we commit to helping other people follow Jesus, it actually helps us follow him in the process as well. So I started today by asking you the question, who has helped you follow Jesus? But I want to end by asking you this question. Who are you helping follow Jesus? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would do this. That we would enjoy mutual community. That we would help other people follow Jesus. And then experience the benefits that, that we receive. That we actually get helped in the process. I pray that we would do something with this message, Lord. This is, this is something where we're here and go, yeah, of course, of course, encourage, warn, pray together, spend time together. Yeah, 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 I get it. Help us not just to have that attitude, Lord. Instead, help us to go, man, who am I doing these things with? Lord, who am I, who am I encouraging? How can I pursue that this week? That we would do that and in your strength, God, in the Spirit's strength and for your glory, God, we would see more and more people following you and built up and encouraged. And more and more people would come to know you. We beg you for help, Jesus. We need your help. We pray this in your name. Amen.